0: How you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing great. Good. Pastor Drew Tarwater, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Can I just can I make fun of Drew for a change? Absolutely.
1: This this Sunday in the sermon, he said that faithfulness is the special sauce. Yes. A barbecue is like reference a, without like knowing a, yeah. it. <laughs> is
0: that your is that Drew's future barbecue line of sauces? Like it's gonna be called faithful. Oh my gosh.
2: Hey, right now, anybody's listening, I'm trademarking faithful barbecue. <laughs> I'm gonna start Are a truck, Faithful Barbecue.
0: The gift of barbecue that keeps on
2: giving. The gift that keeps on giving. Faithfulness is the secret sauce, man. But should
1: say secret sauce or special sauce? Special sauce. Special sauce. Special, special sauce. Yeah. yeah. I wrote it down in my journal.
0: That's <laughs> the <a> special. <laughs> I was sauce. Taking notes. Yeah. Just, just special so you know, Darren, this might be like a, if Drew was Jesus, the, it wouldn't be communion; it would be barbecue. It would. Yeah. It's like hey, we're, we're we're breaking brisket tonight.
1: Except that the thing, the reason is the lamb. The lamb wasn't part of the communion because Jesus was the lamb, so that's, true. that's kinda tough. He'd find a way to work it in.
2: He probably would. We could yeah. only eat brisket. <laughs> we for, could call it. Like it's like
0: and like somehow the barbecue sauce would be represented in the blood and be like Could we call it communion cue? I don't know. No, probably I feel not. like this is going down a really like we're quickly. <laughs> so I, I apologize that that's the skill that I have bringing to this, and I'm Rob Blasey So thank you so much for listening. So Acts 11, Drew, you preached on Sunday about all. Oh, I guess the big takeaway was barbecue, but what was the rest of the sermon about?
2: Yeah, there is uh, actually no barbecue references in this one except for the, the special sauce. Um, yeah, we talked about really Paul's journey from conversion to being sent out on his first missionary journey in Acts 13. And so really the, the, the heart of what we, we looked at was Paul's faithfulness. You know, Paul gets converted and then, um, you know, Paul meets Jesus, gets converted. And then for 11, 12-ish years, he spends time growing and, and being discipled and serving. And then he becomes a church leader at Antioch and does some relief mission to to Jerusalem. And then when he gets back to Antioch, they start praying about what God was going to do. And, and God tells them to, to send Paul and, and Barnabas out on their first missionary journey, where they go to Cyprus and Pamphylia and some other places like Galatia. And really start start planting churches and and sharing the gospel, uh, so it's the start of the spread of the Christian Church into Asia Minor and into the Roman world.
0: No, it's it's interesting how God used Paul and the, those discipleships to sort of spread out there. What was like what was culturally done in that time Drew, to kind of make it easier for Paul to do this? Like, what was his skill set to go out there and do this? Where like it kind of was like almost like the perfect timing culturally in the world, wasn't it?
2: Well, if you look at so many of the different factors, they'll talk about you know Jesus came at, at the appropriate time when the Roman road system was in place. There was something called the Pax Romana, which was a semi peace treaty between all the nations that Rome occupied, which allowed you to travel in and out of nations with with you know relative peace. Um, you also had just uh, a, a, you know on the Roman roads you had just the this the trade system so people could move in and out people could could jump in a ship pretty quickly and pretty easily so on this first missionary journey of paul's they actually leave antioch and they they go to seleucia which is right on the coast and then they hop in a ship and head to uh, cyprus and then they head up to uh, pamphylia which um I'm not sure what country that is modern day, but, you know, it's it's probably modern day Greece. Wasn't maybe. it Asia Minor? Asia Minor, right so there. Macedonia kind of, yeah. is modern day yeah, Greece. Yeah, so right, maybe, maybe kind of Jordan, not Jordan, Turkey, Turkey Georgia, mostly. some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Paul, you see, because of the relative peace in the Roman world and because of all these trade routes, the disciples, you know, and the, these missionaries could quickly move from town to town. And in each of those towns, there was a Jewish synagogue, and the, the disciples, Paul and Barnabas, would go and they would actually preach in the Jewish synagogue first um, and then move into what would be planted into a house church. So it was pretty cool how, how really it was very grassrootsy when it began.
0: No, it's interesting to think. And then when is this is like around the first time when they were called Christians, is that right?
1: Yeah. In verse uh, 26, we see that at Antioch, they were first called Christians Uh, which Drew mentioned, just to the north, about 400 miles, which is like the width of Colorado or Kansas. 400 miles to the north is a place called Syrian Antioch, which is um, one of the the first main hubs outside of Jerusalem where there was a a big Jesus following. And so the word Christian in Greek is uh, christianos, um, which is easy to see how we get Christians from that. And um, the word comes from the root uh, christos, which is Christ. And that word is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word, Meshiach, which is Messiah. So whenever you say, see Jesus Christ, it means Jesus, the Messiah. It's not like his last name or anything. So whenever you read Christ, insert the word Messiah, which is a uniquely Jewish word that means the the Jewish savior, the one who was supposed to come and, and bring them, bring them peace and, and, as, what they thought, as we've mentioned several times in this podcast, was, was to conquer uh, the Romans and push them out. But Jesus had a different idea of what that was going to be. So uh, he thought he was going to be a peaceful peaceful Christ or peaceful Messiah. So Christianos is is basically a term that means little Christian or, or Christ follower, someone who, who follows after Christ. And that's why it was first called the way. Is because it, it was a new way of of you know worshiping God of being a part of God's people, um, and then you know they, it was a derogatory term, right, Drew? As as they said,
2: it was yeah, it was a derogatory term. You know, they're if you think about where they're at in this period of time, they're in Syria, right? They're they're in the area of Syria, and the um, you know they, the the followers of the way were hated in Jerusalem but when they get to Syria, you know, the, the Christians have scattered. Um, they go to Syria, they go to Cyprus. Pamphylia is actually Turkey, modern day Turkey, just pulled up the map. And so they're in these areas where it's not heavily Jewish. It's it's definitely more Greek, right? It's definitely going to be more Roman. Um, and in these areas, it's a derogatory term like, oh, look at these little Christians. Look at these little Christs. You know, it's like, these guys are different. Um, they're They still are kind of seen as a sect of the Jewish faith, but uh, it was derogatory because they lived so differently than everybody else. It could have been thought of as like, oh, these people think they're better than us because of how they live and how they gather. So they were looked down upon.
1: Yeah. And there we read, uh, we get some clues in Paul's letters that people were like the the, the meeting of, of Christians was, was closed and kind of private. And they started to question what they were doing. Um, mm-hmm. And secrecy breeds contempt. And so people were thinking that they were cannibals because they ate the flesh and blood of Christ, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and did some of those things, which which we know is communion. That and uh, so yes, yeah, so, and they they had what they called agape feasts or love feasts. Um, they thought it was some weird sexual kind of thing, uh, and so they they're like, man, those Christians are
2: weird. These are weird people. <laughs>
1: yeah, but that's that's just not that those things aren't true. And so when you Operate in a way that is secretive, or or do things that a culture doesn't understand. Um, you're probably going to get looked down upon for it, in, in interesting ways. And that's why we want to make sure that we're clear about what we do, why we do it, and how we do it. We don't. We're not cannibals. We're not eating the flesh and right. blood of Jesus. We're eating grape juice slash wine and bread. Right. That's that's a symbol. You know that that's what Protestants believe. So yeah. Yeah. Just some, some weird kind of things that people thought Christians were doing. Well, it's
2: interesting too, even in our culture today, Christians are seen as weird. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you see a Christian who, you know, you go to church on Sunday. Why, why aren't you in the mountains? You know, like that's weird to people who live in, you know, who who live for getting up in the mountains, you know, Mm -hmm. living in Colorado where we live. Um, you know, Christians have often, often been called Bible thumpers because people spend time reading their Bibles or, and then that became a derogatory term for someone who would quote Bible verses mostly out of context. Right. Yeah. But, but <laughs> so still, you know, I just, what, 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 what began as, Hey, we want to pursue holiness and pursue being like Jesus easily gets looked down by culture as different and therefore weird.
1: Yeah. I've, I've sometimes when I watch a YouTube short or I get on a weird binge, I'll, I'll come across someone who who is quoting scripture and using it to say this is ridiculous, and I'm just like I, my heart dies a little inside because they they just have no idea what it means. how to truly interpret yeah. an ancient document and what it's supposed to do. Like they're quoting Leviticus at me, like you don't even know what Leviticus is about. Exactly. It's supposed to do. Yeah. Like right. please stop. And but also you know I, I want to I, I'd love to talk with someone who's willing to ask a question and be open to learning. Yeah. Whereas most of those. But most anyone who would post that is like that they're calling Christians cannibals, and they're just not open for discussion. No. Unfortunately, I yeah. really wish well, they, they would be. I've but, had
0: conversations with people. I call them lazy skeptics because they want to be skeptical mm. about everything, but they don't want to know if you actually put real information in front of them to go, "Hey, this is actually the meaning behind it," with you know resources and you know sources behind it to go, "This is what it actually means in context," mm. and then they will just be like, "Well, no, not re-. like they they don't they just don't want to believe it." Because it's a I, like I said, I call it lazy skepticism because they just wanted to match what their worldview is and not and, understand the culture. And Christians do the same thing to other worldviews. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah, so. Christians
1: are, can be anti-intellectual too, and they just read it yeah. it's like, oh, well, that's exactly what it means. Well, no, there's an ancient document. Let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah.
0: we can, we can go down that rabbit hole. But uh, we're talking about then like Paul's discipleship and these travels and he's making disciples. Well. You know what are they studying in this process like there's a they don't do they have books of the bible yet like where does matthew like i, I know the bible's not the new test i don't think the new testament is chronological but like is matthew mark luke john are these being sent out yet like is paul following up on these like what's what's no. out there
1: uh so likely what they had was first of all the hebrew scriptures which we call the old testament um And they probably also had, they started to write down things about Jesus and what he said. So, like, if you've watched The Chosen, Matthew is constantly writing things down. I think that's an interesting perspective on, like, how did Matthew write his gospel? Because he is, like, John had his gospel as well, and Matthew had his, and they were direct disciples of Jesus, whereas Luke followed around, um, like, Paul and some other people. John Mark, who wrote Mark, also followed around, probably interviewed And we Peter.
2: see John Mark here in yeah, what we, we talked about in, in Acts 11, 12, and 13 about when Paul and Barnabas returned back from Jerusalem to Antioch, they take Mark with them, John yeah. Mark.
1: So when we're talking about scholarship and, and how the Gospels were written, there people hypothesize that there are these sources out there. Like one source is called Q, which is the German word quell for source. Uh, and it it just it really means there's a source and they call it Q, but it's most likely collections of sayings of Jesus that the gospel authors either wrote themselves like Matthew wrote these things down and then they were copied and just kind of scattered like here's a story of Jesus here's a parable like the parable of the Good Samaritan it was probably written down, but then the gospel writers later collected these and and also collected eyewitness testimonies and accounts and they. They put these then into their gospel stories, and so they had they probably had these kinds of things. But mostly, what they're studying is the Hebrew Scriptures. It's the Old Testament, and um, during Paul's years that he was he was studying, what he was doing is probably looking at some of these statements, but also working with the close disciples of Jesus to see how he interpreted the Old Testament. Because we see Jesus in a lot Mm -hmm. of his teachings quoting Old Testament scripture, or, or saying something like, you've heard it said this, but I say to you this. Or he says, this is what the Old Testament says and this is how I interpret it. He does something that a rabbi would would do. And he, he reads an Old Testament scripture and then gives, gives a lecture, gives a sermon, gives an interpretation. And his interpretation was so different, was so unique. Um, and, and that's what Paul was learning. How do you read our scriptures? How do you read the Hebrew texts from a Jesus perspective? And, and that means that where is the redemptive storyline in these texts? How does this lead to the Messiah? Why did Jesus quote these texts and say what, what he meant to say? Um, I think of the story in Luke 4 where he reads a text from Isaiah and he reads only the part about redemption and only the part about healing for the nations. But he stops short of the verse that talks about judgment for the Gentiles. And people get all riled up. And like, no, Jesus, what? Well, why did you stop there? Because it's good that our enemies are judged. Is it not? And And Jesus actually says, no, that's not what this time is about. It's not for judgment. It is actually for inclusion. I am redeeming people. I'm healing people, restoring sight to the blind. Which he then goes and does. He literally restores people's sight. He also gives people an entrance into a spiritual kingdom. So this is the kind of thing that Paul is interpreting here. He, he's looking at his Hebrew scriptures and and finding out how, how does this relate to Jesus? How does the fact that the Messiah came, that he was different than what we thought, how, like, and, and he he started to discover how it was there? Because then he goes out and he preaches that message.
0: Then who is he with in this? When this is happening, does he have like? like leadership above him or pe like, is he around the disciples? Is he, like you said, is he using the notes from Matthew?
2: I think he is. Okay. Well, I think if you, if you kind of follow along in the text, when he, when you go back to his time in, in Damascus, you know, he, he meets Ananias and some of the the brothers in, in Damascus. So he's spending time with some Christians in Damascus. Um, we, we think this was around the year 35 a.D. right? So if Jesus dies in around 30 a.D, 28 to 28 to 30, right? So the, the, the church is, let's say, in existence in this area. Five to seven years, right? So there's been for, there's been Christians in Damascus five to seven years. We don't know how many Christians were there, but Paul spends some time with them. He actually preaches a sermon there. Um, the Jews hear about it. They want to kill him, so he gets let down to a basket, which is kind of cool, kind of a remembrance of Joshua, a spy is getting let down. If you call way back to to Judges. To Joshua, I should say, Joshua chapter two, and then he goes to Jerusalem and he meets with Peter and, and you know John and, and the guys, and you know they're like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? Is this the guy that wants to kill us? Is he trying to dupe us out? And then they realize, no, he actually is. He's been converted. He believes in Jesus now, and so he spends time there. It says he spends about three months then, and then he has to flee there. at... And so for these nine years, I think there's a period of time that he spends in Damascus with the believers. He comes back to Jerusalem for years with the with the disciples. He goes to Arabia for a while, we're assuming with another group of Christians. So he's spending time with leaders from the church, some seasoned Christians. Some of them probably were part of that 120 of Jesus' believers that were in Jerusalem with Jesus when he died. And so, you know, Paul is getting a good mix of discipleship from Many different characters along the way.
0: No, uh, it's interesting to think about. And like we're talking about discipleship, what's how do we define discipleship? It's I, I feel like it's one of those words that, in different conversations, it could almost mean different things.
1: Yeah, and it's it's kind of been uh, talked about quite a bit. So I'm I'm just searching up the Great Commission. Uh, and it also feels uh, like that's...
0: a Christianese word. I don't feel like I hear like <laughs> I don't go to I don't go to work and like Hey, we have our discipleship program, so you can learn no more about the work manual. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. So so the Greek word is, is mathetes, uh, which is essentially someone who engages in, in learning like a, a pupil or apprentice. Um, and so if you think think about in those terms, is it a student? Is it an apprentice? Those are kind of different nuanced words in English mm-hmm. from the one word in, in Greek. So I've spent a decent amount of time thinking about this. I, I know Drew has too, but there's a difference between a disciple and a convert. So, in in the Great Commission, we're told and go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything that, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So, um, when we, I think there's been a traditional way of viewing the Great Commission, and and it's in the past, uh, I'm sure a lot of older people have experienced with this, um, where you're supposed to go out, you have to go knock on doors, you need to leave pamphlets, give people gospel tracts, because your goal is to get them to commit their life to Jesus and then you have this number like you had your your tent revival meetings and at the end you have the the quote-unquote altar call where people come forward and give their life to Christ and you're like yes mission accomplished we made we, we saved people for Christ and you have a number a hundred people gave their life to Christ tonight you know five people gave their life to Jesus on this day uh and that's kind of where we stopped but that's that's making a convert. That's not actually making a disciple. So there's a, di- there's a difference. And, and a, a tough question for us as church leaders to think about is, are we making converts or are we making disciples? I think here at Forefront, we, we really try to help people understand what their relationship with Jesus is like. You you, you, you start your life in Jesus and that's the start of something brand new. It's not the end of something brand new. And so we, we want to continue to disciple them. Um, And then here I have another way of thinking about it. Is it a student versus an apprentice? And I think Drew did a great job in his sermon talking about the the difference between, I mean, you didn't mention the word apprentice, but like a student is someone, and I'm, I'm a former teacher. And and so I've thought about this a lot because a student comes to school, they sit in a chair, uh, we get lectures and we're supposed to regurgitate information on a piece of paper or clicking buttons on a computer screen nowadays and like mission accomplished. That person now learns this thing, but
2: it's we all, all head, yeah, all head knowledge. Right.
1: We all know that we can take a test in history about dates of this and that. And then a week later we forget it because mm. we cram, we, we have this, this information at the top of our minds And we don't commit it to long-term memory because we don't use it. We don't actually put it into practice. Whereas if you put it into practice and you start using something, then it starts to convert into something that you can use. And that's what an apprentice really means. Is Yeah, you gain this knowledge, but you spend time with your master who teaches you the craft, gives you the information, but then also gives you the chance to practice it. I love when Jesus sends out his disciples two Mm. by two and they go do this thing. And he, he empowers them to do the exact same thing that he does. You're going to go restore people's visions. You're going to, you're heal people. You're going to bring them into the kingdom of light and they do it. Right. Yeah. And so that, that's, that's what the apprentice thing means. It's not open up brain, cram information and close brain mission accomplished. That studying has to move from your head to your heart, and Drew mentioned that one of the biggest ways and best ways that happens is by serving people.
2: I love the picture that that we have throughout the New Testament about being followers of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? You know, it, yeah, there's an element of being a student because there is studying and there isn't gr- there's is growing. You know, we see the Bereans, Rob. You're a big fan of the Bereans. Big uh, fan. You know, they what they do? They studied the scriptures, right? Um, we know that Paul was, I'm sure, studying the Old Testament. Right to understand where was Jesus seen? You know, Paul is often quoting the Old Testament, but there's this issue. There's also this issue too, which I think, Darren, a great word is apprentice, because you're following. You know, they were following Jesus, right? They were living with Jesus and learning and watching and doing.
1: And they spent time at his feet, and they went out and did what he did exactly. Yeah,
2: and so I think you're 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 exactly right. You know, we we so often in the church say, well, we want to be disciple makers. And if you're a believer, you're a disciple, but we don't sh- show people the pathway to go from saying yes to Jesus to go f- to truly follow him. And so, you know, um, we, we do run into that issue where people say yes to Jesus and then it's kind of feel like, okay, what do I do next? And it's like, we'll just go to church. Well, cool. That is, going to church is a big part of discipleship, mm-hmm. but that's not, that isn't where it stop. You know, that, that isn't where it isn't, the gonna check the box yeah. you need you know discipleship isn't a process it's a pathway it's something you do forever right in, in in one big direction there was a quote i really liked about discipleship and i found this um crusade for christ on, on crew.org when i was doing some research this week and i really liked it it said discipleship is a journey of intentional decisions leading to maturity in your relationship with jesus so that you become more like him in your attitudes I just think that's great. Like, what is the point of discipleship? If you ask the the, the the regular Joe, what's the point of discipleship? They might say, so I can learn more about Jesus, right? Or I can learn more about my faith. or if I can grow my faith. And those answers are still right. But I think there's a, even a better answer. And it's that we can become more like him in our attitudes, focus, and behavior. You know, if God's plan for us is to look more like Jesus because Jesus was able to capture real life the way we were created to live it, then we should want to be more like Jesus in the way we think and the way we act and in our focus as well. So I just think that's a beautiful definition.
0: I think a, I think a modern translation, you guys correct me if I'm wrong as I'm, you know, but the idea is like, I think when you guys talk and use this terminology, I think I'm probably biased on this, but I think of a good coach where it's, Mm. they're teaching you how to play a game, whether it's that, you know, how to throw a pitch, hit a ball, you know, make a basket, you know, to tackle someone, you know, Hit a golf ball, like it's a coach. They're sharing their knowledge. They're passing it down. And usually if you've had a good coach in your life, you can look back and go, There's these really big influences where they've influenced my life and how I live my life today because of this coach, what you know, in my life, whether it's even in sports or even maybe like a, a musical teacher teaching you how to play the piano or the guitar. And there's life lessons that are taught throughout that that, you know, go with you, where it's like an, you know, they use discipleship in Christianese world but like in today's world it could be just almost maybe a coach.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and I think of some coaches I've had. Sometimes they're they're older and they can't actually do it anymore. Correct. But they're still really really good at explaining it and then, you know, showing you the basics like but they can't run as fast, they can't actually guard you on the basketball court cuz they'll fall down. But uh yeah, so yeah, even even that, but Jesus, he he could do everything and show them everything about about how how the disciples were supposed to do it.
0: Yeah. So, and then what What did discipleship look like early in the Bible? What are we looking at? Like, what, how did they do it? I think
2: you see an interesting picture with the way Jesus interacted with his followers. You know, Jesus calls the 12. He's got his 12 disciples. He really invests in the three, right? James, John, and Peter. But there's also this group of 72 that we see referenced and then, then we, we, we do see that there's a group of 120. And so I almost wonder, could you look at, you know, the 120 being the church, kind of that early church, that, mobile church, right, that followed Jesus around. Um, and and really, but the discipleship was on the level of 12 that he spent time with each and every day. But it's really the three, the three that he knew that were going to be um, highly invested in. And so I think the picture we see, Jesus' small group, Kind of smaller group discipleship, you know, where he can do more, spend time more one-on-one, answering questions and really helping teach what God says about about life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes we look at that as a, as a good way of, um, you know, if we have a discipleship model, like we can we disciple seventy-two people?
2: I mean, kind, yeah, kind of, yeah, but not is intent. Yeah, not, not as intentional. You can't yeah.
1: have coffee every week with 72 people. Right. You could, but you'd be buzzed and you'd never sleep from the caffeine. <laughs> um, so, like, like 12 is a much Challenge more manageable number. <laughs> Let's go. Let's yeah, go. So if you have 12, like that's, you know, three every week over a month. You can right. meet with them once a month, yeah. for example. But then you're investing in a small group to invest so that they can turn around and invest in a slightly larger group who then they can turn around and invest in, in a bigger group. And so here at forefront, we kind of model that with, uh, with our elders a little bit. And also with our life groups, Um, we have a number of life groups. We call them growth groups, which are our main, uh, you know, discipleship and life living together groups where they, they grow in their faith and, and live their lives in community with each other. And so, like, I'm at forefront, one of my roles is to, to invest in those life group leaders and make sure that they are equipped to handle and disciple their group of, of 12. So there's, I don't know how many life group leaders we have. I imagine it's close to 15. It's so like, you know, I, I'm trying to invest in those 15 and they turn around and invest in 15 each and that kind of thing. And then Drew with the elders kind of does the same thing, like as pastor or as, as shepherds and protectors, um, you know, trying to invest in, in smaller groups of people. So that it's not Drew's responsibility to disciple all 150 people we have here at Forefront. But we invest in smaller groups. Of course, Drew preaches and, and disciples people in that way. Um, but yeah, kind of a model that, that we use as well. Yeah, I think there's
2: just this reality that it's, you know, you can you can get really intentional about discipleship, Um being this process you go through. But I think one of the challenges we run into is we want a book to go through that we can say we did it or we want to be able to put our stamp of approval or check, hey, we did this thing. You are now a disciple. You are now a disciple. Certificate. Right, right. (laughs) Whereas in reality, it's this just long, lifelong journey to grow in our faith and become more like Jesus. And so at Forefront, you know, we try to entwine, intertwine,
1: yeah, intertwine.
2: Intertwine. We try to intertwine discipleship into everything we do. So Sunday sermons, life groups. Um, different activity group stuff that we do, right? Podcast. That was one of the reasons we do this, is we want this to be a part of discipleship, you know. And the leadership things we do with our staff and with our elders, and um, and women's ministry and men's ministry, and all these things are, you know, there's no silver bullet that you can just say, "Hey, this is how we do discipleship." We want to, we want to weave it through all of the things we do, so we can all be on that journey to grow in Jesus together.
0: No, it's interesting to think about, and maybe I'm, I'm just. The- I'm an idea person. So maybe what we do is sort of steal like what the, like the karate studios and things have done. Maybe we get like the white belt of discipleship and then you just keep upgrading (laughs) because it's like a never ending cycle where you can just keep upgrading. You can never
2: really get a black belt though. Right. Until you're like 90.
0: Yeah. And it's like, you know, have a tier. So like, so people like, you, you know, you come to church, you wear like your Brown belt. Hey, all right. Hey, he's a brown belt disciple. Good job. It's like, oh, you can grapple someone to the ground too. That's great. Or you could say,
2: yeah, go find somebody with a different color than yours, like the next color and go have coffee with them.
1: So yeah, the idea is that you are mentored by someone who has a higher belt than you. And you also mentor someone who has a lower belt than you. So purple
2: belt, go talk to the (laughs) green belt. I I mean, We're we're not
1: going to identify ourselves at
2: church by the (laughs)
0: level of (laughs) disciple that we are. We can get pins on our
2: hats. We can do hat pins instead.
0: Yeah, okay. Oh, I tried. I tried. I'm just an idea guy here. It was a good call. All right, so before we wrap this up, any uh, parting thoughts, Pastor Darren Enns?
1: Not this time.
0: Pastor Drew Tarwater.
2: You know, if you're listening to this, my guess is that you um, are are just really interested in in growing in your faith and you're interested in Jesus, or you accidentally clicked on the wrong podcast and you found this one interesting because Darren's got one of those smooth, buttery DJ voices. Um, But either way, I didn't... Oh yeah. I'd encourage you to be intentional about discipleship. Like what, what are you doing to grow and to learn? And if it's just you and your Bible under a tree, well, that's a good start, but you need to be plugged into a church. And if all you do is go to church, but you're not engaged with anybody else to do life with, then you need a mentor. And I just say, we all, you know, we all can just take the next step towards growing and, uh, and being part of, uh, being an apprentice that follows Jesus.
0: No, absolutely. If you have questions, thoughts, ways you want to get connected with some people, email us life at forefrontchurch.tv. Even if you're not in the area, and you, uh, we may have some resources in your area to help you get connected, or help do some research to find a good place to get you connected. Life at forefrontchurch.tv. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear you ask some questions, and we'd love to hear from you. So once again, thank you so much, Pastor Darren Enns. Thank you. You betcha. Pastor Drew Tarwater. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. And I'm Rob.